Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter here with Dr. Susanna Greer. Hey, Susanna. What's up, Joe? I am getting there. And I mean, we all have these daily reminders about how how weird life is now, how, you know, all these technological advances that we take for granted, we don't always take for granted. So you have these realizations like, oh yeah, we couldn't always look inside of our bodies and see things on a microscopic level. It's a recent thing. But, you know, even though for, you know, millions of years, people had this, um, you know, the only way they could find out what was happening inside their body was to cut it open and look. And now, I know it's kind of weird to say it, but it's true. I feel like you've been watching too much Netflix. <laughs> well, I mean, as in everybody, um, you know, x-rays haven't been around that long. Right. MRIs haven't been around that long. And computers haven't been around that long, making these MRIs more powerful than ever. So our guest today had some pretty cool explanations of how medical imaging has advanced and how useful it is. So... Susanna, before I ask you about your takeaways, let me introduce him real quick. Dr. Peter Larson, he is a two-time ACS grantee. He's an associate professor in residence and principal investigator in the Department of Radiology and Biomedical Imaging at the University of California, San Francisco. And he's a core member of the joint UC Berkeley UCSF graduate program in bioengineering. So he kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever had an MRI? I never have, no. Uh, Peter did a really wonderful job. So first off, you guys, if you if you've had an MRI or have a friend or loved one, I mean you probably just have heard that it's just not this super fantastic fun experience. And it's not because it hurts. It's just it's it is a it's uncomfortable, right? And can be uh, intimidating. But the wealth of information that comes from MRI is just amazing. And Peter breaks down how MRIs work in such just a lovely way that, I mean, to me, so if you told me now, Susanna, we're going to need to schedule an MRI for you, I would at least understand why some pieces are going to be true, like why it's going to take a long time and why I'm going to need to go into this big tube and why it's going to be loud. So that's that piece for me was reassuring. And then Peter's been working on the technology that he developed for over a decade. And so I loved the way that he walked us through taking these studies from animal models um, all the way to tweaking the modeling, uh, using mathematical modeling to allow oncologists to, to, at the end of the MRI, have a piece of data that they can interpret and understand. So I think you're all going to love this. You're going to walk away feeling so smart about um, this really wonderful, and as Joe said, still new and novel technology. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to talk to you today. So if you're you're ready to talk some imaging with us, we're going to dive in. Absolutely. I'm passionate about imaging, so excited <laughs> to share our work with the, with the audience. Fantastic. All right. So imaging is, oh my gosh, it's clearly so related to cancer, but we need to, let's back up a little bit. So your expertise is, it's in imaging, but it's it's specific to using engineering to actually improve imaging techniques. So before we talk about all of that, let's 
let's just remind our listeners, why is it that imaging is so important when we think about diagnosing and treating cancer? So how, how might our oncologists use imaging data? And, you know, what kind of information can that imaging provide? Yeah. So uh, as you know, as you mentioned, I'm coming at this, I'm, I'm not a physician. I'm uh, trained as an electrical engineer. And so, you know, what, what we do is, is look at the, the machines and the way we produce images and the technology. And, and, and there's going to be different types of imaging that you might get. Um, there's going to be imaging that's really focused on the structure or the anatomy. And so there you might be looking at things uh, how big, uh, you know, if, if there is a tumor or cancer, how big it might be, what a, maybe what sort of texture it has might tell you something about how it's been growing or how it's responding to the treatment. And you also look at where you might have disease or metastatic disease in relation to other, you know, important uh, anatomical landmarks, other structures within your body. And, and that often can really dictate what type of, you know, what's the next course of action, what type of treatment or, or whether or not treatment is necessary, depending on things like we might call this infiltration, for example, in, in prostate cancer. Then the other sort of major type of information and class of imaging is going to be functional imaging. And this is would include your PET scans and then some more of the things that, that uh, we've been trying to pursue in terms of metabolic imaging, where looking not just at the perhaps where there might be cancerous tissue, a tumor, but really what is going on in the cancer cells there. So you can tell how the cells are behaving. Are they at a phase where it looks like we think they might be growing a lot or after maybe after treatment, do we see a treatment effect where maybe some of the, the, the function of the tissue shows that um, Actually, we maybe halted some of the growth, or maybe even killed uh, some of the cancer cells, um, and that's really valuable because often these changes, these functional uh, changes, happen before you start to see the sizes of the of a tumor, say, shrink, or the locations of the tumor shrink. Oncologists are going to use both types of, of imaging studies, functional and structural or anatomical studies, to um, and at different stages of disease, and it varies a little bit by um, also the type of cancer in terms of <clears throat> where uh, which imaging is works the best and is the most valuable. Ah, oh, very cool. So, what I heard from you, so well, first of all, pretty interesting that you can start off as an electrical engineer, and that's where your training is, and end up having such a cool impact on oncology. So, shout out to all the engineers out there. And then like how you helped us to understand that oncologists are in general going to use two different types of images or two different results of images. And the first you described tells us about um, like structure, like maybe you, you mentioned how big a tumor is or where it is, or maybe if it's um, metastasized or moved from one organ site to another. Mm -hmm. And the second you you shared as being more functional, like not just kind of where's the tumor, but what's happening in and around the tumor. Um, 
And you said that both of them are really valuable for oncologists and help oncologists to make decisions about treatment strategies. So it sounds like we kind of have the basis for understanding imaging, basically. It's either going to be structural or or functional. So is that that's reasonable? We got it? Yeah, great summary. <laughs> okay, so now we understand these two different kind of overall types of imaging techniques. Um, but today we're going to talk about one particular type of imaging technique that I guess most of us have at least heard about, and it's one that you have a ton of expertise in, and it's called magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI. All right, so while many of us have heard of MRIs, I don't think many of us know how they work, <laughs> um, <laughs> how we get images. Most of us just think about, um, you know, either we've had an MRI or maybe a friend, and we understand kind of um, the logistics of an MRI, but uh-huh. all right, but here, here's our opportunity. So tell us, um, how, how does MRI itself work? So the first thing we need, and you can actually kind of break down the word MRI into the three parts that is required. The first thing is the M for magnet, magnetic or magnet. And so when you go into an MRI scanner, you go into this big tube, the bulk of what's in that tube is, is really just to create a big magnetic field and sort of the bigger is usually better because it gives us better images and then uh, the next part of how an MRI works is is the resonance and this is a little more abstract Um, but what you can think of is we what we do when you get inside the MRI machine then we'll put these a little basically little antennas around you and what we're going to do is we shoot some some energy. It's at a radio frequency, a similar energy to your radio signals. We shoot a little bit of that into your body, and then it bounces back out to these antennas that we've got, and we measure it. And during that process, it tells us something. Uh, the, the way that it bounces back basically tells us something about what's going on in the tissue. And then the last part of the experiment, of course, is, is imaging and all the noise if you've had an MRI, very loud. Um, all the noise comes from the imaging part, uh, and that's wh- what we do: is we manipulate the magnetic field just slightly throughout your body, and when we create a different magnetic field at different locations, then we can create an image. We have a way to separate uh, these radio frequency, these uh, signals that come from one part of your body versus another part of uh, your body, and then. The whole process, you have to repeat these uh, actions a number of times. So you hear this sort of, you'll be in there for tens of minutes. You'll hear these sort of repeated loud noises. And that's the MRI machine creating creating its images, creating different, and MRI can also create different types of images too. Okay. All right. So now, well, first of all, now it doesn't seem so scary, right? So yeah, I have not had an MRI, but I, I know lots of lots of people who have, and no one really says, you know, I can't wait for my MRI. Um, <laughs> this is going to be, I've heard this is a super fun experience, right? Um, first of all, it's important that it's a tube because that's the magnetic field. And the the more, the bigger it is, the better. So, okay, so fine. We have Mm -hmm. to get in a big magnetic field. And the only way to do that is to literally lay down and get in there. So that can make that piece, I think, a little, a little easier to deal with. And then 
Yeah, the second thing you said is around the resonance part. And that's, I love the way you explained it, that we are, when we have an MRI, that there's radio energy that's going into our body and then back out and that you're, you're measuring it. And that that information is really important for the image that will finally come from the process, I guess. So that's going to take some time, right? To have, you said it's going to, we're going to sample different parts of our body. And so we're going to have to maybe lay in this magnetic field for a little while. Is that reasonable? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. And then that last part you said, which is something I've heard a lot of folks ask about MRI is why is it so stinking loud? (laughs) And you said it's, it's, it's loud because that's the the manipulation of that magnetic field to actually create the image. So I think that maybe understanding why all these things are happening can make it a little easier to undergo the physical process of an MRI. So thank you. That was a really lovely explanation you gave. So now let's get down to it. How how would an oncologist actually use the resulting image that comes out of the MRI? Um, Maybe let's start with that. How do how do we use that image? So the images are used in different ways for for different types of of cancers. So let me let me go through two quick examples. Maybe the first example would be in prostate cancer, where now you know if you are diagnosed or have high risk for prostate cancer, you're probably going to get an MRI. And what they're going to be looking for is they're going to be looking at uh, several different types of pictures or images of the prostate, looking for some characteristic features there. And they're gonna use that information to then guide the biopsy, uh, a, a biopsy that you would get after that. So um, so a radiologist would go through and uh, identify what their reasons that they're concerned about. And then when the urologist would perform the biopsy, they would specifically make sure to not miss those areas, just to, you know, that's where we were most worried about something. And so that's where imaging uh, fits in there. And the other thing the radiologist is going to look for and the your, your, your urologists would be worried about would be local um, invasion or metastasis. So they'll look kind of at the edge of the prostate and nearby to see is there evidence of cancer spreading out. Another good example is in brain tumors where going to be uh, – probably going, uh, maybe having some surgery, plan- surgical planning. So you're going to look at, well, can we figure out what is the extent, uh, of how big is the tumor, um, and look for, you know, what is the function of the brain that's around that tumor? And so if a surgeon is going to go in, they're going to really plan their plan their path so that they can, you know, preserve the, uh, the brain that's still healthy while taking the tumor uh, out there. And they also would be looking at taking scans after uh, going on some treatment and seeing if they can figure out if the size and location of the tumor has changed. All right. So, Peter, all of that sounds really great and essential, right? You, you need to understand exactly kind of where tumors are um, to guide, as you said, in your, your great prostate cancer example, to, to guide biopsies. Um, need to understand tumor margins, really critical. And you gave a a really lovely example around um, like a brain tumor. So all of that sounds really good, but I know that your research 
has to do with making improvements to MRI. So maybe help us to understand what would be some of the limitations of the use of MRI uh, in treatment decisions. Yeah, the the limitations of, of most MRI is that it's primarily, as I said at the beginning, it falls mostly under this category of structural or anatomical imaging. So we're looking at yeah, margins, uh, the location of tumors the, in relation to other structure. Um, and we don't get too much in terms of the tissue function information, um, which can tell you about, is this, you know, is this tissue tumor actively growing? Is it sort of showing some characteristics of cell behavior that is uh, unique to tumors? And this is the type of information that we're trying to add to MRI uh, is to add this and specifically some functional information and specifically uh, metabolism information. Okay, well, that makes sense. So it sounds like MRI is great to understand uh, where the tumor is, if the tumor has spread, but not so great in terms of what's actually happening in the tumor. And you mentioned that one of the ways that you can use MRI or one of the areas of your research is um, allowing MRI to give us some understanding of metabolism. So what does that mean? What, I mean, I know what metabolism refers to if I'm thinking about my metabolism slowing down as I get older, <laughs> uh, but that's different than when we think about it on a cellular level. So help us to understand what are you talking about when you're saying that we could use MRI to understand the metabolism that's going on inside tumors? Yeah, so met metabolism is is kind of broad. I mean, it's referring to basically a, a large range of pro uh, things that your cells are doing to to create energy, to create the building blocks they need for more cells. There's some very interesting things that happen in aggressive uh, cancers in that they need to both, they're going to want to have a lot of energy to support their growth and their proliferation. And then, then they're also going to need to um, build up some of the uh, more cells. They need the building blocks to, to, to grow more of themselves. And these are often fundamental mutations that are that are uh, happening in in cancer. So it's not that, uh, and your body is doing metabolism all the time, sort of normal metabolism. But most cancers have some metabolism that is abnormal, and so that's really like honing in. That's what we're trying to to measure is sort of this. Uh, these abnormal metabolism characteristics that are very, that are often very specific to cancer. Oh, that's pretty cool. So what you're saying is that you can use images to give us information about metabolism that might then be helpful in treating cancer because it would allow us to understand if a tumor is growing, if it's um, you know, rapidly expanding the number of cells that it has, if it's using more, uh, if it has more uh, metabolic needs um, to support its growth. Um, so is that, is what you're saying that metabolism can be altered both in and around tumors that, that is different than the metabolism that might be occurring in healthy tissues? Yes. Um, the metabolism in the visible tumor uh, is both different from 
normal metabolism and that it's usually a lot more active. So there's a sort of a general increase. And then there's a, some very unique characteristics of that metabolism. It's not your healthy tissue is, tar is trying to just you know, sort of maintain itself, keep uh, replacing uh, cells that die and keep structures intact, whereas the tumors are doing something different. Um, and so their metabolism, the types of not only the amount of, of metabolism that they do, but the type of metabolism that they do supports, and in a, uh, more aggressive cancers, it supports this even more. It's going to support this growth of new tissue that, again, when, when you're a, uh, is, is what most normal tissue is, is not uh, needing to do all the time. Okay, interesting. So then let's get back to this special type of MRI that you think a lot about that helps us to understand these differences in metabolism. And I'd like to go back to the very beginning when you explained how MRI works. You said there's this big magnet um, that is going to produce a giant magnetic field. We're going to be measuring radio energy, and then we're going to get some pictures. Um, so an area of MRI, or I guess a special type of MRI that focuses on metabolism is called hyperpolarized carbon-13 magnetic resonance in imaging. So I want all of our listeners to go around, tell all their friends about that, that today. We have to remember that. But okay, so how does it work? How then can you take us back to that initial explanation that you gave of the magnet, the radio waves, the images, how, but that gives us a picture. Um, how then would we use hyperpolarized carbon-13 MRIs uh, to understand more than just a picture, more than just where the tumor is, but what's happening specifically um, is, does this tumor have this weird metabolism going on? Yeah, so that's a great question. So this type of MRI uses the same machine, a lot of the same principles, but the main difference is that it uses a a special contrast agent, and that's what the hyperpolarized carbon-13 part of this uh, mouthful of a name refers to. What this type of imaging involves is that uh, we have a, a, actually it's a separate magnet and a separate machine that creates this contrast agent. It's called hyperpolarized because it's put in this special magnetic state that really amplifies the signal a lot. So we can inject a small amount of this contrast agent and get a lot of signal to create an image. So this, this hyperpolarized uh, state is, is basically think of it, it's, it's, it's got its own really special strong kind of magnetic state that once it's inside the MRI machine, we can measure. And then the carbon 13 part is useful to image because it's the building block of, you know, all uh, of life, right? Um, and normally, we the carbon that's naturally occurring in your body, there's not enough of it, and most of it, it turns out, is the wrong type to be measured with MRI. The carbon-13 type, we can. So we specifically uh, put this uh, isotope, it's called, in, in our contrast agent. We hyperpolarize it, basically make it really uh, uh, bright uh, once it gets into the MRI machine and then and then we're still going to use the same principles of the resonance so bouncing the radio waves uh, in and out uh, of your body 
and the same imaging of manipulating the magnetic field slightly to distinguish signals coming from one place or another um, to, to image this uh, hyperpolarized carbon-13 contrast agent with MRI. All right, so I think we're getting somewhere now to what might be so cool about this because you, and you gave us a huge clue because you said carbon is the building block of everything. And if what you want to do is measure changes in metabolism and if tumors are being super greedy and making lots of new tumor cells and using lots of the metabolic building blocks, then I bet there might be more carbon-13 that you could measure. So is that what's so cool about this? Yeah. If we go back to the initial, uh, my initial explanation of, of MRI is that all of the what I call now conventional MRI, so your regular MRI is measuring is it's measuring the water molecules that are present in your body. So it's it's not able to actually measure carbon. You can we can absolutely get an amazing amount of information just by uh, imaging the water and its magnetic properties and where it is. But this technique allows us to look at carbon and its role, and because it's so key in in metabolic processes it, it becomes just this incredible tool to look at uh, metabolism because we can watch the the carbon as it moves through these uh, energy creating and uh, substrate generating processes in the body wow that's fascinating so the, one of the first things you told me is that you're an engineer so what what have you done how have you improved this technique to make it better yeah, so I started working on this technology over 10 years ago when we were uh, just trying to to make it work. Uh, we were studying animals. We were working a lot with the, this external machine that makes these hyperpolarized carbon-13 contrast agents. Um, and I've worked a lot on the um, also on the way that we run the MRI machine. So there's a software program that runs the MRI machine. And as it turns out, this uh, hyperpolarized carbon-13 MRI, we can't use the same programs that we do for your regular MRI scan. So we've uh, uh, initially worked a lot on building up those techniques, working on them so they would actually work for, for, uh, for human studies as well. You know, and then as we've kind of solved some problems there, we are working on some of the ways to analyze the images that we get out uh, from these scans. Um, in terms of we want to create some, some really some numbers, some maps that are precise and that we can hand off to the physicians and, and that they can use for their diagnosis. And so some of that work uh, involves looking at mathematical models of how these contrast agents and the images that we measure, uh, how they should behave, and doing some mathematical modeling to, to basically create these maps that, that we think are reflective of the tumor ag aggressiveness or uh, rate of metabolism. That's awesome. So it sounds like you've I mean, I love that you shared that you've been working on this for 10 years, because <laughs> I think many times we, especially when we think about science and technology, it, it's great to be reminded that 
a lot of the things that um, that that we use every day and that impact us every day in science and medicine have taken an enormous amount of time to develop. And so you took us back and you said that you started over 10 years ago and you just started trying to make it work. You started in animal models and you also had to develop software. So, you know, you needed programs to make the, um, I like how you said the conventional, so old school MRI, which is still great, <laughs> but doesn't have all the capabilities of the hyperpolarized carbon-13 MRI. So you had to develop software and build these techniques. You had to humanize it, so needed to make it work on, on us. And then you had to actually put all of that into a modeling system that could be useful so that the um, end user, the oncologist, could understand the information that they're getting. So uh, you've taken us through a really beautiful story today. I think our listeners would really appreciate knowing how your funding from the American Cancer Society has impacted cancer research. Um, so I, I've actually received funding from the American Cancer Society uh, twice as a when I was a postdoctoral fellow. This 10 years ago, let's say, time, uh, I received that that allowed me to basically get trained in, in this technology, uh, start to make connections with the uh, oncologist and, and basically uh, um, grow from being an electrical engineer to being really a biomedical engineer, learning the metabolism, the biochemistry um, and the cl and the clinical translation pieces uh, of of technology development, and then recently I've been the recipient of very fortunately of a research scholar grant, and one the major impact we've had with that is we've taken that um, funding and used it to uh, move this technology into the study of localized. Uh, kidney tumors, also known as renal cell carcinomas or RCCs. This is the first time it's been done with this technology. Um, we've had to develop like the tool that, that, that I have just shown you so we can um, study the, the metabolism across the kidneys and we can get enough uh, resolution to, to image some, these sometimes small masses. And then this has led us to uh, actually uh, now embarking on a larger project within the same patient population funded by the National Institutes of Health, the National Cancer Institute, where we think we can tease out really what are going to be the uh, aggressive tumors in the kidneys that need to go in for surgery quickly, need to be, uh, you know, and monitored with a bit of follow-up um, versus we, we think there's a subset of, of these uh, kidney tumors that right now are being operated on surgically but uh, could probably be monitored under an active surveillance or watchful waiting type uh, protocol. Uh, I know patients would be absolutely thrilled to have that information as with their family. So I think, I think this is a good place for us to end. And before I let you go, Peter, I'd really, I'd love to know if there's a specific message you would like to share with those folks, um, with our listeners who are cancer patients, survivors and caregivers. Yeah, I there's a lot of reason to be, you know, optimistic. I see the the incredibly talented people that that I get to work with that are trying to tackle you know, 
cancer diagnosis, cancer treatment from from every angle. You know, we're coming at it from our angle of what can imaging add. Uh, but I've just been so fortunate to work with with people who are looking more at you know therapeutics or day to day treatment. And there's you know there's just some incredible minds and some credible people dedicated to this. Um, it's it's amazing. You know, I'd also like to share that that it's been uh, as we've translated into you know our initial testing human studies where we we can't guarantee that we're going to provide a, a, a patient with any new information, but there's been so many generous uh, uh, you know, cancer patients who have volunteered their time to go in the loud machine for an hour or more and and really help us develop this technology. And I just want to use this opportunity to you know to say thank you to to all of you who are really helping to to further cancer research forward and and will ultimately you know bring some of these improvements into into clinical care. Well, thank you, Peter. We're really excited about what you're doing, and ah, I think we've all learned a ton about MRI today. So appreciate you sharing with us, and best of luck. Great, thank you. It's wonderful to talk to you.